Welcome to the Play Golf in College podcast with all things junior golf and college golf. Now here are your hosts, Coach Mark McDonald and PGIC founder, Coach Brad Sparling. Welcome back to the Play Golf in College podcast, where we talk about all things junior golf and college golf. And this week, we have Eric Barzeski and Dave Wedzik on with us. They are the authors of Lowest Score Wins. They are golf professionals and teachers, and they've got some unbelievable information in this book. Specifically, I really like the part about separation value, where they talk about what parts of the game should you really focus on. One, where can you get better? And two, if you do get better in those areas of the game, will it have a meaningful impact on your score? I think that is a unique and valuable insight because you definitely do not want to be spending equal parts on all facets of your game. You really need to concentrate your practice time, your training time on specific areas of the game because one, you can get better there, and two, when you do, it really can lower your score. So we're going to get right into it where we're talking about people uh on the punting green and and you know where you normally see them putt from and uh it's kind of a great way to segment into this section so enjoy the 25 foot range when you go to a practice green you see people dropping balls in that 15 to 25 foot range all the time very all the consistently time. it's it's just it's it's what you see and yep. it's one of the places we guide people very quickly that's an area to stay away from um there's, there's very little separation value there because whether it's the highest level or your 15 handicap, they make a pretty similar percentage of them and they two putt most all the time. So, you know, you don't get to separate yourself from another golfer by getting that, but you can't get good enough in that range to make a difference. So like in that sense, we talk about the three to eight foot range and we talk about, you know, outside 30 feet, 40 feet, 45 feet, learning to two putt. Just a, you know, a quick example there. Right. So you list the separation values. Uh, it's four different levels. So can you quickly run down what those skills would be at every level? You go. Oh, all, all right. right. I'll so go. Sep- <laughs> this is, I think this is the tricky part of it. Um, so the, the highest level separation value, the separation, what we call SV4 skills, are driving the ball, approach shots. So approaching the green and a skill we call game planning because we didn't look at skills just as physical skills. And so we, how you, we clarify that approach shots for us include outside of 60 yards or so. Um, I know Mark Brody and the PJ tour consider short game shots to be a hundred yards and in uh, for most golfers, we consider like an 85 yard shot is still using full swing skills. So for us, short game doesn't really start till 60 yards and in just to okay. clarify. Yeah. Um, in the SV3 category, so right underneath that would be uh, green reading and green side shots. So the, the shots, you know, within 20 yards uh, of the green, around the green, that kind of thing. Um, okay. SV2, so we get to less valuable. Um, but again, there's still value, but less value than some of those other things. Three to 15 foot putts, 25 plus foot putts, green side bunker shots, 20 to 60 yard shots, so that that little tweener wedge range in that, you know, 40, 50 yard area, mm-hmm. um, 220 plus yard shots. And that's an interesting one that we can talk about, but it's, it's a difficult shot, but 
um, separation value also has, there's a factor of how many times they have to deal with the shot in a typical round. Um, <clears throat> trouble shots. So uh, we actually consider there's value to knowing how to hit the ball out of trees, hook a ball, slice the ball, that kind of thing. So that's in the SV2. And then in SV1, we've got under three foot putts. So you're, you're really short tap in type putts, uh, 15 to 25 foot putts, long bunker shots and fairway bunker shots. Okay, great. So the implication from that very <clears throat> simply is that if driving and approach shots and game planning, course management, however you want to put it, is the most important thing, then the majority of your time should be spent on those areas of the game. Because if you get better in those areas, it can drastically reduce your score. Not only that, but those are the most difficult skills to master right. as well. Uh, game planning, for example, is in the SV4 skills, but quite, you know, to be to brag a little bit or, or something like that, uh, if you read the last, you know, half or third of low score wins, we would say that you basically have a game planning approach that works for the rest of your life. So it's not like you have to practice game planning a lot just because it's in SV4. Same with green reading in SV3. You know, we teach aim point. Um, you can learn to read any green anywhere in an afternoon. Occasionally practice that skill, but just because it's an SV3 doesn't mean necessarily you have to practice it a bunch. But driving and approach shots, the full swing skills do tend to be the most difficult. So not only are they highly important they're also much more difficult than making a four foot putt or something so right gotcha. so yeah that makes sense. we asked i was just gonna uh, say could you yeah. i was just gonna ask you a little bit about uh in the book you guys talk about the 65 2015 rule you guys have for practice uh if you could go into a little bit of that and how that kind of relates back to that separation value as well yeah and that's actually that's kind of what i was gonna say from there is that uh, we have we actually have a percentage that we've kind of put together and you nailed it, you know, in the 60, the 65, 2015. And what that basically says is that, you know, you, you should be spending your time, um, 65, essentially 65%, um, on the full swing. So, you know, these skills that are mostly granted, mostly in the SV4, um, areas. Um, and then essentially 20%, um, on your, on your short game, um, around the green, that kind of thing and 15% on putting. Um, and we also clearly state that they have a glaring weakness as well. So these numbers can be tweaked, but those numbers catch people off guard pretty quickly, uh, in that, you know, they think, well, you know, guys are on tour because they bury all the, they, they bury putts all day long. Um, so, and, and putting is so much of the game. We hit so many, we hit so many putts in a round, but when you really look at the math, um, it doesn't quite come out that way. And that just has to do with how many tap-ins there are in a round. Again, how putting is just not as difficult to skill. And what we've just gone over about how much you can separate yourself in some of these mm -hmm. other areas. Right. Dave Pels loves to tell you that half or 60% or whatever of your shots come from inside of 100 yards, but using percentages like that is a bad way to go about deciding how to practice because a PGA Tour Pro will have nine tap-ins around. Uh, they shoot 72. Uh, that's 12.5% of your shots. Not all shots are equal. They all count yeah. as one. Every shot counts. You know, all that makes sense. 
but not all shots are equal. Not all shots are as equally hard or difficult. A pro would not spend 2% of his time practicing tap-ins, let alone 12.5% of his time. So mm -hmm. just looking at percentages like that is a bad way to go. You have to look at how important the skills are, how difficult the skills are. And then, you know, that's kind of how we came up with the SCOR stuff, the S value, the C value, and all that stuff. Um, and we kind of, you know, looked at that stuff. How many opportunities per round do you have to use that skill? Um, fairway bunker shots often surprises people. They're like, oh, God, I'm terrible out of fairway bunker shots. I, you know, I, I sometimes I don't even get it out uh, and all that stuff. It turns out most people don't have that many fairway bunker shots. Um, if you practice your approach shots, you also get better at that skill. Uh, we call that the related skills value. Um, so just improving with a seven iron from the fairway improves your fairway bunker shots. And also fairway bunker shots have a low ceiling. Uh, PGA Tour pros hit the green less than 50% of the time from fairway bunker shots because they're hard shots. So even there, the separation isn't quite as high as you often think it is. But mostly that one breaks down to the opportunities per round that you have to use that skill which lowers kind of the separation value of that skill. If you only have a chance to hit a fairway bunker shot once every three rounds, uh, it's not a skill that you should devote a lot of practice time to. Right. Great point. You have a quote in the book. It says, if we were to score our practice, we'd win or lose based on how well we practiced and utilized our time, not the quality or quantity of the shots we hit. Tell us a little bit about what you meant by that, because I think a lot of our listeners would probably grade their practice more towards how well they hit the ball. Yeah, that's a that's a great quote. I forgot we said that, Eric. You're, <laughs> you're so smart. <laughs> it's funny how many times things come up from the book. And, you know, it would, you do something like this and time passes and you think, oh, I said that. That was really good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it is a great point. And it goes back to kind of a bunch of surveys we did in conjunction with Medicus Golf. Um, going back well before the book. But one of the things we found out all the time was that golfers were saying the reason they weren't getting better is they didn't have enough time. So again, this, this came down to time. And so, you know, how well they use that time does become, you know, the, the huge part, the huge part of this in the sense of it doesn't necessarily to your point, you know, people would consider a great practice session sometimes that they happen to strike the ball solidly in that practice session. Um, and we would say it's about being efficient and using your time properly and working on the, the right things because you could have you could have a great pro practice session working on the right things going to driving the ball better, but not hit the ball great. Of course, um, sometimes that happens, but you still know. Or you could have a great practice session um, happen to hold a lot of twenty foot putts and feel really good about yourself, but you may not have done yourself any good in terms of being efficient. And working on the things that really matter. Um, so that's that's really what it what it came down to is trying to solve that you know equation, so to speak, of where to spend the time, how to be efficient, um, and use your time, and not necessarily just hitting ten good shots in a row and saying I, I got it today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I think if this quote really, sense. I think this quote really applies. Uh, to a lot of the college golfers and junior golfers that we work with, like you said, uh, especially for the high school golfer, maybe they've got home from school, it's three o'clock, they've got homework, other things going on, they've got limited time, 
making sure that quality of the practice is really important. And, and like you said, some of some of my, even my best practice sessions over the years might have only been 30 minutes long. Yeah. And, or less. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And or if you think about these players that are over the summer, they've got a lot more time and maybe they were at the golf course for eight hours. And they think, man, I got a lot of work done today. But really, if you look at it, maybe those eight hours, they might have had an hour in there that was truly effective practice where they developed some skill and learned and got better. Um, so it's, I think I think that quote is is one of my favorite ones that I read throughout the book and something that Brad and I are really trying to do with our players that we work with. Right. And we see a lot of people uh, at ranges. And I'll make the comment sometimes to a student that uh, they can get more out of 15 minutes of good practice than that guy down there at the end of the range hitting balls for two hours. Um, so if you're on a limited time, it makes a lot of sense to work a lot smarter and not necessarily work a lot harder. Um, if you have 45 minutes in a week to practice golf, that's it. You get one time. Um, the 65-20-15 absence a glaring weakness is kind of a good ratio to how to spend that time. But not only that, just dividing it up that way, but what specifically you're actually trying to accomplish. Um, it doesn't make sense to spend your 65% of the time just hitting a bunch of drivers um, willy-nilly out to the end of the range and seeing how far you can hit it. Uh, so making sure you practice the right things the right way. We, like you guys, have, you know, some cold weather right now. We don't get a lot of time to practice outside during the winter. Um, and so we've done a lot of stuff with our clients and our students uh, to make sure that they know how to practice for five minutes a day in a mirror in their bathroom um, or while they're watching commercials on television or something like that. Just you'd be surprised. I think a lot of golfers would be surprised how much work they can get at home in five to ten minutes a day. If it's done well, how much better they can get at golf then? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Right. You've got and a I, really uh, interesting way of framing how to practice correctly. And, and one of the things you talk about are the five S's of great practice. And they would be simple, specific, slow, and short, and make sure you have success. Um, and, and you have another quote in there, too, that ties in with that. It's the violinist was constantly practicing at the edge of her ability where you had failure but can almost realize success. And this develops self-belief and mental toughness, in, in our opinion. Um, expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think, uh, and just briefly going back to the, to the previous point too, and then I'll expand on that, but I love concrete examples. So what Eric said, I wanted to reiterate for, all the, for everybody listening to this podcast, those five minutes, those 10 minutes in a mirror, something you can do to be, really efficient with your time, whether it's at home or anywhere else, practicing ball position, practicing your grip, something that is even using your time wisely. You might not get to the course that day. Find places to use your time at your house and those kind of things. Again, I think it was important to really drive that home for people. Um, as far as, you know, that's one of the big things, you know, that's one of the things we live by in everything we do and bef well before the book is practicing right on the edge of what you are capable of. Uh, we believe that being uncomfortable is good. You, you want to, it's, you know, I, I look at, I look at other sports a lot and it's why a sport like soccer, for example, you've got a group like the Brazilians and they practice in at the fastest paces in the smallest spaces they're trying to make, put people in very uncomfortable positions. Uh, that is, you know, a very important thing with what the violinist quote talks about and what the, what the, the five S's talk about. It's about going at paces you can understand, keeping it simple and putting yourself in very 
uncomfortable spots. When people are telling me that when they're working on something and they're telling me that this feels odd or this feels hard to do, but they're still able to do it, I think we have it. Um, and that's that's really important in what we're looking for there. Um, I'm always concerned when we're putting a change in or our players working on something and they're saying right away that this feels great. I, I've got, you know, it's 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 one of those things I'm, I'm leery of and we watch. And and that's the point. The more you can push them to the edge. And again, that's where just small segments of time going slow doing it like the, like the, you know, like the violinist who plays the notes, but it didn't sound like a song. Um, and in those ways really gets the most out of your players. Love it. Hey guys, one, one thing when we're on the topic of practice, um, I really liked a lot of the, a lot of the drills or games you guys had in there as examples of different ways to practice skills. Uh, mm-hmm. and the one thing, one thing that I noticed as well with those, it seemed like Almost every one of them had some way of keeping score or tracking progress. Uh, tell us a little bit more about kind of your opinions on the importance of tracking progress in your practice sessions, because I think that's something that oftentimes these juniors or college golfers that we see uh, don't quite do that. Right. It's it's very important to be able to track progress, not only because uh, you can see yourself improving and it gives you some tangible number. It gives you a challenge. Uh, when you're approaching setting a new record for yourself, there's some pressure. Again, like Dave said, you get uncomfortable maybe um, when you're approaching the end of the game and you have to, you're close to beating your own record. Uh, but, you know, like back when I was a junior, we'd often have putting matches against someone else, uh, you know, for a quarter or a Coke or something like that. And those are great. And they they build up the competitive edge and stuff like that, but they don't necessarily mean that you got better if you win. Maybe your buddy had a bad day. Um, and putted badly in that in that putting match. So, uh, scoring systems in our practice games are, are very important. We use them in our lessons and stuff too, because at the end of the day, when you play golf, you're putting a score by your name, and so that associated pressure um, and stuff is important, as well as the ability to measure your own progress. Like you said, um, over time, you should see yourself getting better. Like for example, the ladder game. The first time people play that, they'll get three or four. Um, when they see themselves getting up to 12, 13, 14, uh, depending on the size of the ladder, that can become a source of pride and also just a means of measuring their progress. Yeah, this all starts with the fact that we stress with our players all the time that golf, it's the whole, it's, it goes to the title of the book. Golf is about putting a score on the board. So, like, I, we tell, I'll tell our junior players, our high school players, um, even, any competitive players that are that are looking to go to the next level that I want them looking for every tournament they can find or every chance to put their score on a board is the way I term it that they can find. If they're a high school player, I don't care if it's subbing in a member guest where they have to put their score on the board for everyone to see. That's where, you know, these games come in uh, and we've, you know, we really do stress those. One of the ones, you know, I'll, I'll drop it out there real quickly, but another one that's not in the book that we really like uh, is what we just call, it's a simple 30 point game and they can choose any club. Let's say they take a seven iron and they're going to hit 10 shots with that. And they're going to get, they're going to get a possible three points with every shot. They just have to grade themselves honestly. So it's first one is, did I hit it solidly? That's a point. Did my ball or not? Basically, did my ball start to the proper side of the target to play the shot shape that I normally play as my pattern? 
that's a potential point. And then did the ball curve the proper direction? And that's a possible point. Not did the shot end up perfect, but did I hit it solid point or not? Did it start to the proper side of the target point or not? And did it curve the proper direction point or not? So you get three points for a shot that you hit solid, start right as a drawer, but might only draw back five feet instead of the 20 feet you were looking for. You might not have stiffed it, but it was a good effective shot. So you get three points for that. Just another example. Oh, that's great. <clears throat> Let's transition to, to talking about shot zones and knowing your shot center, distribution patterns, that kind of thing. So in addition to the separation value, I think that's immediately beneficial for, for most golfers. Um, talk to us about that. Yeah, so if golfers, we, we hear all the time, we put the story in the book about the golfer that um, stiffed one on the hole 14 uh, or something. And, you know, he has a tap in birdie and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's the golfer I really am. You're like, no, the golfer you are is the other 92 shots you hit that day. Right. Uh, <laughs> almost none of which went where you were thinking it would go um, and stuff like that. And the one he stiffed, he might have like hit a pull draw out of nowhere. Um, and said, oh, yeah, there, nice draw, right by the flag. Um, so shot zones are just the ability to, to, and we see all the time, Dave tells the story about being in a pro-am, and, you know, he has 140 to the flag, and, you know, he tells his pro-am partner, he goes, how far is it? He goes, 160. Because uh, <laughs> he knows the guy's been short all day. The guy yeah. overestimates his yardage, you know, so you're just like, yeah, 160, go ahead, hit it. Um, and then the guy hits his best shot of the day because, you know, he hits a seven iron instead of his, you know, the pitching wedge he was going to hit or whatever. But um, just the ability to understand where your shots tend to aim uh, or sorry, when to, where your shots tend to fall. We hear all the time from golfers that they want to be more consistent. They want to be more consistent. They want to be more consistent. And yet a lot of golfers are pretty consistent. Uh, a friend relayed to me yet last night that he loves when someone comes into the his shop and says, Hey, yeah, I slice the ball every time. I just want to be more consistent. It's like, <laughs> did you hear what you just said? You know, like, uh, you going to get more consistent time. than that. Right, exactly. Yeah. You can play golf that way. That doesn't mean you're going to be a scratch golfer if you literally hit a slice every time. But if you hit a slice every time, you can be a pretty good golfer and you can play that shot. If you just learn where that shot goes every time and then where you need to aim to correspond to that shot. Yeah. Um, so... Shot zones are a simple way for people, even if they don't go out and hit the 20 or 100 shots to actually map their shot zones, they just can think back to their rounds and stuff like that. So literally, without even hitting more shots, they can shoot lower scores the next day because if you can just play to that shot zone. So if someone comes up short and right, they have to literally try to hit the back left part of the green, perhaps. They have to try to hit the ball there because then when their shot comes off short and right, guess what? That's kind of in the middle of the green. So you can play better golf and shoot lower scores tomorrow just by understanding that stuff. Um, and then of course, if you actually map your shots and stuff, you can get a little bit more finite, a little bit more precise and, and take that to the next level as well. Yeah. And I love the mention of consistency. That's just such a buzzword in golf. Everybody wants to talk about how they're not consistent yet. Almost every golfer is consistent to some level. Um, every golfer has, for the most part, I shouldn't say every, but most all golfers have some pattern to their shots. Their ball works left to right. Their ball works right to left. Um, they might consistently fat too many shots. They might consistently come up short. Um, I always ask golfers when they're creating shot zones. This is a big one. How many times does a five to a 30 handicapper 
hit a ball long of a green that they didn't just blade during a round, a full shot long of a green. Never. It almost never <laughs> happens. That's a, that's just a, it's an implicit, it's a huge mistake in game planning. Clearly golfers should have granted there's green slopes and things like that, but you should be almost 50, 50. You should be missing some percentage of shots, 30, 40% long of greens. If you're planning for your shot zones properly, if you're understanding. And the, the last thing I'll add to that is discipline in this. Once a person has gone and taken the time to understand which way their ball curves and, you know, do they typically come up short and left or long and right or short and right, whatever that typical shot is, understand where that means you have to aim. So if you're a short left misser, when you're aiming at a target on the range, hitting 20 shots, then you have to learn to be disciplined enough to take more club and aim long right. It's, it become, it's, you know, it's like, it's like the gun that has the bad sights. You don't just keep aiming at the same place and missing. You, you change your aim. It's the same concept, and everyone has their own um, tells in there, so to speak, and they're easy to find. Absolutely. Good point. I, I, think, the, I think the shot zone, in my opinion, um, while, after reading the book, was, was one of the ways, especially for our golfers, that I think that they could implement this immediately and see a lot of improvement. And it's not just uh, figuring out kind of laterally left and right where their shot pattern is, but I think for, especially for some of these better players, it's getting a better idea of where their true <laughs> carry distance is. I think and whether it's the yep. really elite player we see or the, the average player that's at our club, they all overestimate their average shot just because they're they're trying to think of that one shot they hit out there that, like Big you said, might have been might have been that pull hook that they carried their seven one seventy, but really their average shot, including a little bit of the miss hits, is closer to one sixty maybe. Um, and I think that's just it's huge for these players to have that understanding. And like you guys said in the book, that's it's very easy to hit twenty shots and have and, and get an idea of that pattern and that distance. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we're in the midst. We have some things upcoming, so I'll tease that a little bit. But if you if they if listeners watch low score wins, we have some other things upcoming where we're going to be offering some things to help golfers of all levels um, create their shot zones a little easier and um, through a pretty darn affordable service. No, nowhere to aim very quickly. Awesome. All right. We want to get a couple funny stories from you guys. <laughs> uh, you've got to have some. I mean, we all do. Um, but because <laughs> there really aren't that many, but like, oh come on, oh uh, come on, we're talking about it's golf fine. here. It's it's not you, particularly funny, but um, uh, I was playing in a playing lesson with a kid once, and it goes to shot zones and things like that. Uh, where and it goes to the PGA Tour um as well. When a guy will stiff a shot from a long range, so I had 150. Um, I was gonna hit kind of a chippy eight iron to this green. Uh, the flag was way front right, and I'm playing with this kid that I'm I'm giving a lesson to, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna aim 25 feet left of this flag, um, probably a little deep, um, because that's where the middle of the green is. If I hit it there, I have a 25 foot birdie putt. If I pull it, I got a 40 foot birdie putt, and if I push it, maybe it's close. So I say all this to him before the shot, and I hit the shot. I kind of push a little bit. I'm like, see, I pushed it. It one hops and rolls into the hole. I'm like, you know without me having told him all that stuff beforehand and calling my shot beforehand and saying like, okay, if I miss, it'll get close. Um, 
he would have thought like I just hit some awesome great shot and like that's where I was aiming and I would have tipped my cap and been like, yep, I'm good, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, that happens a lot more than people realize on a PGA tour as well as absolutely. Well, you can stiff it a lot of the time when you're playing away from the hole, um, and people think that sometimes, oh, by playing safe or whatever the whole time, they're never gonna hit one close. They're always playing conservatively away from the hole, um, and really you're playing conservatively. Be- but you're also playing aggressively because you're giving yourself a lot of birdie putts and occasionally you miss a shot and it goes in the hole. So mm-hmm. I think with I, this game, we, we inherently push or pull our <clears throat> shots towards the hole way more often than what we actually think we do. Uh, it, it's yeah. kind of crazy. When you start aiming away from the hole, it seems like magically the ball actually ends up closer to the hole. Yeah. He probably hit, said yeah. in 92 that that's how he, um, what he did on the 12th at Augusta. Uh, probably as many close in those ways for sure. Yeah. Um, I have a, I, I, just a, a quick one and it's not really, it's again, it's not separation value, but it's ball striking base. But um, it was very humorous to me at the time. Cause it was so unique. I was, I was at the uh, PGA at Baltusrol with uh, one of my students who's on the European tour, Bradley Dredge and really good swinger of the club, really good ball striker. And he's hitting it. He's hitting it real good coming in and we've been hitting, he's been hitting it really well in the range and he's hitting drivers and just string after string after string. And it's like, you know, man, what do you, you know, we, we're just, just keep doing what you're doing. And he hits, he hits a, after two more good ones or whatever, he hits one that he just, it, he hits it and immediately you can just hear it's kind of, kind of clunky off the heel and it just kind of, kind of hangs and, slides off to the right just a little bit and I in wanting to hear what he would say I'm hoping for a certain answer never thought I'd get this one I said Brad what did you do I don't have a camera on him or anything mind you so could I see what happened in that swing there's no way I said what did I said what did you do wrong on that swing he said oh my god did you see the 10 before that I didn't do anything wrong it was just a cracked ball and he, he deadpanned that as quickly as quickly as he could. Wow. And it struck me that his mental his mental outlook was fantastic at that point because he literally went right to cracked ball. Plain and simple. That's Couldn't crazy. have been me. Which I thought which I thought was really good. Um the other one I'll throw out to you guys, and it's and it's a story that we talk about in the book. And I think it's really important for students and all golfers to understand when they think about the game. And it goes to golf being hard. Um, if I, I always imagine if you took a kid from a faraway land who had never seen or heard about golf and you brought them to the first tee of most any golf course here in the United States and set them down there and you said, hey, I'm going to bring in this set of it's a bag and I have these sticks in there and there's these iron things on the end. And then I'm going to bring out this thing that looks like a rock to you, but it's a golf ball. And I'm laying it down here and you get to swing these and hit that, that direction. And it's about 1400 feet. It's a long way down there. And you got some trees and this and that. And we're going to put sand. It's like the Robin Williams thing. We're going to put all this stuff out there. How many times do you think you'd have to swing those clubs, to propel that ball to put it in that hole? And by no, the no, way, the, the whole four, four inches. Yeah. yeah, the whole four and a quarter inches. I can't imagine him saying anything except for 25, 30 who knows how many, right? Mm-hmm. And we get frustrated when we don't do it, depending on your level of play, of in four or five. I think it's important to note for people, golf is hard. It's a hard game. And having especially, you know, things like realistic expectations and understanding a lot of these things will make it more fun. 
Great point. That's perfect. Coach Mack, you have anything else? I'm good. I appreciate you guys' time. That's awesome. Uh, I enjoyed yeah. the book. Uh, like you guys said, it's it's there's a there's a lot of very simple things in there that golfers can apply right now, uh, and I think that's the beauty of it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, awesome job, guys. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Thank have you. Bye bye.